podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. It is good to have you with us once again, gang. Well, 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 a month and change away from the start of the season. We are revving things up just a little bit on the show. It's an I'm Mike mailbag special. He's back from his summer holes, from his vacation. He's suntanned. He's got the Hawaiian shirt and he has got the bit between his teeth. We've got some brilliant questions, courtesy of you lot, to get us rolling today. Unsurprisingly, a lot of chat about Aaron Rodgers. Lots of stories flying around with the Jets. Is Dalvin Cook going to land there? What about Rodgers hitting back at Sean Payton after... The latter threw some shade on Nathaniel Hackett, Rogers' erstwhile tag team partner. So we'll get into all of that. Saquon getting a deal done with the Giants. What does this mean for him, for them, for the season beyond? Ooh, we got questions on the new Netflix show, Quarterback. Frankly, I just don't know what isn't in this week's show. Looking at the running order, looking at what we're going to be getting into. It is an hour of good old-fashioned Nat and Mike vintage chat. So sit back, relax, wherever you are in the world right now and enjoy the Nat Coombs Show mailbag special. Ladies and gents, just to clarify something straight off the bat, we are not, I repeat, not trading Iron Mike Carlson, not now and not in October. Well, I have a no trade clause in my contract. Uh, yeah, you know, my, my agent was good <laughs> enough to do that, which is more than, than, than uh, Saquon Barkley thought of. But, you know, I'm not signing that franchise tag either. So you can you can just throw it out the window there into your into your spacious backyard. Is your agent, Mike McCartney, uh, the greatest sports agent in uh, sports entertainment history? <laughs> can't, can't yeah, agent my agent should be. My, I, my my agent is is like I do what Donald Trump does, you know, like I pick up the phone and, and, and you know, say, um, uh, you know, all sports agency. <laughs> oh, can we speak to my, Mike Carlson? I said, well, I can put you through to his agent. <laughs> I bet you actually do that. Or like Bill Murray doesn't have an agent, just has an answer phone. And if you want to book Bill Murray, <laughs> you have to leave a message on his answer phone. Yeah. I bet that, that's more you. You're more Bill Murray in my book. Well, that's yeah, me and me and James, me and James Gar Garner. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of parallels there. That is true. Well, I was, of course, uh, uh, riffing everybody's uh, favorite um I would say where is where is Ursay on your list of all time favorite NFL characters? I, mean, I don't I don't know, but I'm I, I'm writing a piece about about the, the departure of Daniel Snyder, and, and mm. I'm going to do a sidebar on the on the other worst owners in the world. The problem with worst owners is that there's such a huge crowd. You know, Ursay's probably not even the worst NFL owner in his own family. <laughs> um, he's he's you know he kind of has the good sense to stay out of of a lot of the. Um, a lot of the um, other other stuff going on, and, mm. but he's kind of like comic relief, you know. And and mm. you can make a case of the NFL being a lot like a gang, you know, like the Sopranos or or the Good Good Fellows, you know. But but Ursay would be kind of the comic relief in in the in the family, you know. And I, I, I was thinking of this because you know when when the new the new administration takes over in Washington, mm. the NFL's highly likely to have somebody there to guide so to speak mr harris through his new acquisition you know and i was thinking oh here comes mike 
pencil again, <laughs> you know, fresh from fresh from being sent out to run run the gang run the gang in in Topeka. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, exactly. you know, he, he's back. He's back as the kind of um, what, what do you call underboss? <laughs> the underboss, the captain, the captain. I lo- I love this idea of NFL meets the Sopranos, and um, who would be who? I mean, because you're, you're spot on with the Sopranos because it's got that the whole the way the Jersey Crew are marginalized compared to to Carmine and Johnny Sachs in New York and then look down yeah. on them. There's definitely there's definitely that vibe with quite a lot of the team owners. Ralph Cifaretto. Yeah, and you know. We're talking pre the, the, pre-show. Um, Ralphie, the, Ralphie's the one I was trying to think of. Ralph, Ralph, yeah, he's a definite. The, um, you know, and Goodell was basically the consigliere, you know, who then got promoted to be to be the boss. You know, even though he doesn't come from the family, um, but you know, <laughs> yeah. right ownership side, right is side. ownership is. You know, I, I keep saying the NFL is basically a medieval organization, mm. it, and. The coaching and general managering business is run by a guild, and the owners are basically the the night the lords of the manor, and everything is hereditary. You know, there. I mean, there are coaches that aren't nepotistic, but there's many who are. You know, so it's where a, are we in this great... in this picture? Are we just running the local alehouse? <laughs> <laughs> hey, boy, yeah, I wish. <laughs> I got to get the barley in as soon as we're finished here. Listen, you mentioned um, new ownership in Washington. That's one of the questions we've got. Actually, it's a bumper. I'm Mike Mailbag. So we've got a ton of questions we're going to get into. Some news we're going to lead off with, though. Yeah. Uh, as, Frank Zapp- as Frank Zappa would say, mm. hit it. Hit it. Okay, let's do it. Let's start with... Well, I want to start about these with these rumors of Dalvin Cook to the Jets, because Dalvin, of course, probably the most prominent uh, player out there right now that hasn't landed. And there's been a lot of talk of him landing in a lot of different spots. But the Jets... Well, that whole uh, that whole narrative gained a lot of momentum this week, and Tom Pelissero reported that uh, he has been meeting mm-hmm. with the ownership. It kind of connects with Rogers and this um, understandable line, and there's a precedent here of veteran quarterback restructuring his deal to free up money so he can bring in pieces, or they can bring in pieces to give him a chance of winning. It seems to be happening in New York at the moment. What do you make of that? If Dalvin Cook lands in the Jets, what does this do? Yeah. Well, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is basically voted. Yeah, he basically voted Iron Mike's employee of the month for July. That's that's high Um, praise. But he's thrilled about that. He took he took a salary cut for next Mm. year. Thirty saves them thirty five million. The Jets have now have quite a bit of cap room available. Um, Plus, he stood up against. um, The winner of this month's Daniel Snyder humanitarian award, uh, (laughs) Sean Payton. For yes. being an all in, oh, in yes. all around class act. This was Peyton, um, this is just thing to if our listeners haven't heard this story. Peyton laying into uh, well everybody, but particularly Nathaniel Hackett, of course, who's now at the Jets, um, old buddy of Rogers, who's at the Jets uh, as as the, his offensive coordinator, reprising their their tag team. But Peyton yeah. laid into to Hackett and and then some. Do you think um, do you think Peyton because he his argument or the rationale he gave for it was I was still in broad, in broadcaster mode. Uh, do you think Peyton just what had a, had a blind spot? Wasn't thinking, was it maybe more intentional than that? Peyton, Peyton is, I mean, I've interviewed him and I've interviewed him with Nick Halling as well, you know, and he, he can be quite a tough interview. Uh, na- nasty is almost the word I would use. He, mm. We brought up his time with the Lester Panthers and he got all huffy about that. Why? And didn't talk- 
wouldn't talk to Nick. I, I mean, no good reason. I mean, what? it's your past. So then I, I figured, well, okay, if that's the way it's going to go, let's ask him about being a scab during the players' strike. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you can't yeah. say scab to an NFL coach, oh but I did. God. How did that um, go down? Yeah. Not the well, not well. No, but, well. But, yeah. you know, but this is a guy, remember, Bounty Gate, he managed to kind of skirt the edges of that. Mm. Um, and... The one of the most interesting things about the Washington tapes is a conversation he had with Gruden, you know, Gruden's Redskins tapes that were leaked by somebody mm-hmm. um, where he says to Gruden, but they were both fined for not wearing masks on the sideline during COVID. And Gruden was fined 150 K and Peyton was fined 100 K and Peyton's mm-hmm. going, you paid it. you know screw them i'm not paying it you know just just let it go no one's Mm going to come after you for it and apparently that 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 may well be true and and this is actually this is how the the things there's like three things here that are all tying together you know peyton in denver rogers and of course snyder in washington Mm -hmm. and to do them in in kind of reverse order now i think i think um peyton just basically was being overly honest. It's part being honest and part giving yourself some wiggle room if things go wrong, if you're not able to fix, quote unquote, Russell Wilson, whatever. Um, and then, you know, to to then extend that to the Jets and Hackett. Now, I'm no Nathaniel Hackett fan. You know, I've said many times, I said, what's he ever done? You know, his, being yeah, Aaron Rodgers' quarterback first- First yeah, not he's a Nepo. Yeah, like, yeah. his, like his first name is great. His last name is Nepo because his father, his father was Paul Hackett. Um, but what's he ever done? Buddy you know, Hackett. That, <laughs> now, that would be yeah. if Buddy Hackett were the were the offensive coordinator of the Broncos. That would be. That I've got it. Be. So Ralphie's going to be the team owner, and Buddy Hackett's head coach. <laughs> I love it. All right, sorry, sorry Buddy Hackett was yeah. Buddy Hackett was like a Tourette syndrome comedian. Um, but anyway, well, that's the first time so, ever um, that I've given an old school reference, and you've had to give put it in context. I think that's the first time ever. How about that? All right. <laughs> love that. Sorry. So we were back just for to... our listeners who who may not be aware. Um, but anyway, so so Peyton's completely out of line. You know, you, you just don't do that. There's no there's no point in doing it. Um, and extending it to the current Jets makes it even worse. So Billy Turner, who's a player who's followed Hackett around from the Packers to the Broncos to the Jets. He's a tackle out of North Dakota State, if I remember right. Um, so Billy Turner was defending him and, and cutting, uh, you know, cutting Peyton to pieces. And then Rogers chimed in saying how much he loved, loved was the word he used, Hackett. What a great guy he was, family man, all that kind of stuff. I, I immediately flashed back to Alec Baldwin in in um, in Glengarry, Glen Ross, you know, <laughs> nice guy, likes his kids, you know. And then he goes off on a, on a swearing, on a swearing. I don't care, you know, always be selling. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, let's let's give the Daniel Snyder Humanitarian Award to Peyton. Let's remember that Daniel Snyder claimed he had stuff on all the other owners. Um, Mm. And regardless of whether it was Snyder or the NFL or their investigators who released all those Gruden tapes, which might have been diversion or, you know, or something worse, um, he got his. His. fine of 60 million dollars on the way out the door 
It was kind of like, like <laughs> well, here's the billions. Here's the billions right in your hand. Now we're going to take 60 million back. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you can sue us and all. But I think they were legitimately afraid, you know, that, that there was going to be a lot of dirt thrown mm. out there. And so therefore they approved the deal. And I'm not I'm not casting expersions on onto um Mr. Harris. Um note I call him Mr. because I'm a good announcer in the National Football League. And you have wise, to call very wise, Mike. Mr. Mr. See, because you've upset um, Sean Pace and you probably got to go one on one. Yeah. I try to get someone I mean, there that. are reasons why the owners might not have normally jumped so quickly at the um approving the ownership because he he is the lead guy, but he's not necessarily all the money that right it's consortium you know, that's wash. A, look, we'll get to josh yeah, harris in another... a minute because well, we got a question on him i just just to draw a Ooh, line you call him the... josh you you oh, must be in, in the in crowd but i'm i'm fine with sean payton so we're kind of again <laughs> we're level of that so yeah just to on the rogers thing insecure is what rogers called sean payton which i thought was yeah like, i think that that's pretty good actually that yeah, that's that pretty, my question pretty accurate yeah insecurity yeah surprising really uh surprising that he feels the need to do that but there you go uh on rogers i'm going to dive into the mailbag for the first time Actually, no, you didn't yeah, and just question. to answer the original, yeah, does that yeah, what the is original Dalvin question? Cook? Yeah, right. They've Rogers has created cap space. Rogers knows Dalvin Cook very well from playing Minnesota twice a year, and I think Cook would be just what he wants in in terms of a running back. Yeah. You know, versatility. Um, he can be their Aaron Jones basically, um, and when Hall comes back, Hall can be their AJ Dillon. Um, you know, I I think it makes an awful lot of logical sense um, to, uh, to, to think about it in those terms. Yeah. I love that. love that comparison as well uh, with uh, the Jones Dillon tag team on the Jets, staying on the Jets. And our first question of I'm Mike's mailbag special, Simon Ryan. Hey, Simon at the NC shows, by the way, how you get in touch with us, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, threads. Are you on threads yet? I'm Mike. No. Okay, well, now, are we, is that an official thing now? Official. Uh, somehow go, going, going from, going from Elon Musk to Mark Zuckerberg is kind of like going from Jim Mersey to Dan Snyder, <laughs> or maybe it's vice, maybe it's vice versa. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> if you had to go for dinner with Ralphie, Ralphie from the Sopranos, Elon Musk, Dan Snyder, who would you go? You had to have one. Oh, Ralphie. No, no question. Would, would be Ralphie. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'd have a better time before he killed me. <laughs> Going to say you worried about it at any stage, just being cracked around the back of the head uh, <laughs> with the bottle of whatever you're drinking. But yeah, you've answered that one. So uh, I can't call it. We can't call it Twitter anymore. It's X. I'm like now. Is what it's oh yeah, jeez. I mean, X <laughs> is there anybody? Can you think of anyone who has just destroyed a brand as quickly and as comprehensively as Musk has? Have you heard the rumors of Musk and Zuck fighting at UFC 300? There's a lot of buzz about that against Zuckerberg. Yeah, Musk fighting Zuckerberg. Yeah, I don't think Dana White's going to credibly put it on UFC 300, but they're talking about a big. Um, whether the UFC will will you know will bankroll it or not, or will put it on its card, but yeah, a mixed martial arts fight between the two. If it was me, I would take Floyd May Mayweather and have him fight both of them at the same time. <laughs> That's I would watch. I would watch. Let's get Hulk Hogan against all of them. Um, all of the six people we mentioned there: Ralphie, Dan Snyder. Anyway, here is the question from Simon Ryan. Hey Simon, we got there in the end. Will the uh, Rogers reconstructed contract give more time? Uh, for Robert Sala and Joe Douglas to A, post a winning record. I think they probably will post a winning record now. And B, get a playoff berth. So do you feel, let's just park Dalvin Cook for a moment, based on what we know right now today. Right. What it is. Are the Jets a playoff side right now? 
in another division, yes. In this division, I'm not sure. Um, it's we don't really know how everything's going to gel or whether it will indeed for the Jets. We don't really know how good Miami's going to be um, with or without Jalen Ramsey. I'm not, you know, that doesn't switch the needle all that much for me, but they were certainly a playoff team last year. The Patriots, really hard to figure um, if they can come back and, and do this. And the Bills, of course, everybody has in the playoffs. But they play each other. These teams are going to play each other. 12, you know, six-year games are going to be against those teams. They're all going to be hard games. Mm. And, you know, I, I could see the, the Jets going nine and eight or ten and seven and not making the playoffs. Um, although, you know, cause the AFC is, is loaded. Yeah. 10 and 7, you, know, might, it, you might miss out. Yeah. That's, yeah. Point. You know, I, I can say when I was doing a piece about d- dynasties for, um, gridiron, the new issue of gridiron, um, whether the chiefs starting with the thing of whether the chiefs are already a dynasty, um, you know, what, w- one of, one of the things I, one of the things I noticed was that the AFC being loaded and being, in tough divisions makes it very difficult for you to be a dynastic team and teams that, you know, go to the Super Bowl and lose or teams that go to the championship game, conference championship game, and only get into a Super Bowl once or twice in a decade don't count as dynasties, even though they were probably, you know, arguably as successful, you know, or just slightly less successful um, than teams that are. it's it's a very difficult thing. Yeah. And the AFC is packed and the NFC, there's Philadelphia and then there's there's you know maybe San Francisco maybe Dallas um, possibly Seattle on the out, outskirts of that but I don't see any other you know top teams in that you know in in that whole mix. I, when was the last know, time you could remember it being this top heavy? That one sided. Mm. Oh, maybe I think in the eighties when the NFC had the had the yeah. Packers and the Niners and the Cowboys Bears. and the Giants and yeah. the Redskins and the Bears. Um, you know, for that whole period, um, after the Steelers yeah. had their great run, um, I think that was probably the um that was probably a very lopsided era. I guess that was the nineties as well with Dallas. I mean, yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. Dallas had those early early nineties things. And and there's what Bill James, the baseball guy, described as the law of competitive balance. Which is, you know, to get out of your division when your division was the Giants and the Skins and the Cowboys and even the Eagles, who had a couple of decent teams in that run. You've got to you've got to be able to play those teams, you know, and the same thing when you got to the play, you had to be able to play Green Bay and you had to be able to play San Francisco mm. um, and, and win. So it, it builds it kind of builds competitive strength. So I, I know that's kind of a fudge, but. Certainly the fudge. Jets. Incredible yeah, I, I think we probably weight weight Rogers a bit too high on this. I think the Jets have they need to prove the offensive line is going to be there. Um and Rodgers isn't going to be subjected to but you know, when you think about Green Bay, how they were able to finesse offensive lines with backups and guys like that, and Rodgers could could keep the play yeah, alive. If, if anyone know? can do it, he's he's up yeah. there, probably top five, right? It's a it's a great point. There is there are particular unknowns about about this setup for uh, for for obvious reasons. I just have a feeling that because even on the line, right? I mean, the upside is there. Vera Tucker back, Beckton, huge upside if he can play play up post injuries. So I 
I have a feeling Rogers is going to go off this year. I just, it feels like it's going to be one of those years, particularly because of the indifferent last season and people suggesting maybe he's jumped the shark now. Maybe this is it. Has he fallen? I have a feeling he's going to have <laughs> yeah. a season for the ages. I think it could be vintage Rogers, Mike. That maybe somebody ought to be spiking his ayahuasca. Get some, get something going, get something going there. But I, I was looking at, um, um, because of the uh, Joe Burrow, you know, injury and the, the rumor now that they might sign Carlson Wentz um, to <laughs> yeah. to to a deal. I was looking and and oddly enough, the Jets are in as I said are in pretty good cap shape, you know, now and Rogers, uh, but the Bengals have have literally, you know, stacked their cap so that by 2016, they're only going to have 35 million in cap hits. At this point, which means they can give By Joe 20, Burrow twenty six. You mean twenty twenty six? Yeah, okay. sorry. I was <laughs> going, going back to back, back to the future. Yeah, the the ayahuasca is not working for me. <laughs> um, so that so that so they're really stacked, and and you know, given that Justin Herbert is now the average of that contract is you know just beaten Lamar Jackson's who just beat you know, and and so Burrow's going to be a little bit above that. You know, mm. they've actually been very smart about that. Um, they got Joe Mixon back it up at a discount, you know, which was, which was a good move for them. Um, and, you know, we're in, we're in the funny time now, uh, contract wise, Chris Jones is holding out. He's at 19 million a year, but there's been a bunch of big defensive tackle contracts long-term. And this is what happens when you're in the last year. You know, Mahomes is now the seventh highest paid quarterback in the league. Yeah. But that's what happens when you sign a long-term deal. You know, that sure. everything moves up. The cap moves up. The, yep. the, the numbers move up. And, you know, when you're in your last year, I understand wanting an extension, you know, before you get hurt, say, in midseason or or something like that, or uh, knowing that you're going to turn old. And and now we've got the running back, you know, the, the guild of running backs trying to sure. form up. But And then Saquon, who was at the center of the whole thing, then goes out and this is I'll move on to a new topic here, but Saquon doesn't sign his ten point one million dollar franchise tag. Instead, he signs a one year contract for ten point one million dollars <laughs> plus plus nine hundred in three different bonuses, all of which depend on the Giants making the playoffs. Yeah, which is we not an impossible scenario. But if they don't make the playoffs, he could have a career year and not collect a penny of those bonuses. Plus, they can franchise him again. He didn't take care of business with that. So they offered him, according to reports, they offered yep. him a two-year deal somewhere around $13 million a year. Why didn't he take it? Mm. If you're running back and someone gives you anything more than a one-year deal, you should probably jump on it because you know they're not going to give you a three- or a four-year deal. No one's going to. Yeah, I, I guess that there is, we've, we've talked about it a lot on the show that we know that position is consistently becoming devalued. And, and we understand the logic for that, right? And the way the game has changed, offices have changed, particularly in the last decade and uh, the strength in depth that the players that are coming out, that most teams know they can get value third or fourth round for your average everyday solid starter. But I ranted about this with, um, with Paul Ben on last week's show that, there is a collection of four or five players, Saquon's amongst them, McCaffrey's amongst them, you know, generational talent. Bijan, we assume, is going to be that kind of player. 
you can understand the logic in an agent pushing for it, the athlete pushing for it and a team going for it. You know, situation, of course, is always, always critical. And with the Giants in particular, Saquon's value, Saquon's value to any team is going to be strong because of the kind of player he is. The Giants in particular, the way the offense is constructed, the question marks at quarterback, the fact that a lot is going to run through him, injury issues notwithstanding, you could, could understand the Giants stumping up a, disproportionately high to the market deal to, to keep him. So I guess I get, I get why the agent might've been holding out for more or the advisors holding out for more than that two year deal, even at that amount. But you're right now, now he signed essentially a franchise. It's like leaving the EU and then people say, well, what we can do is spend a shitload of money <laughs> and then mirror the deal that we had before, before we, yeah. So uh, yeah, and they're and they're going to let us in without border checks, right? Um, <laughs> but what are these? Yeah. Um, and you know, mentioned? I mean, hmm. Josh Jacobs hasn't signed his franchise tag, so he'll probably just sit sit out till a week before starts. Um, yeah. You know, rather than risk injury or anything. Tony Pollard has signed his, and now Dallas, I think. Well, they can't negotiate with him anymore, but they they, they kind of they they kind of didn't. I agree with you. There are a certain number of transcendent running backs all of whom have to be able to catch the ball mm -hmm. and 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 produce you know da downfield the ones who can actually line up as a receiver which is what McCaffrey for for example can do it's what B. Jan Robinson can do which is why Atlanta will you know took him in not the ninth pick of the draft even though they were solid at running back you know mm -hmm. they Cordero can do the same thing. They can actually put in two running backs and then line them both up as receivers. Mm -hmm. um, and they can have Pitts at tight end and line him up as receiver. <laughs> but, you know, we had a question the last time I was on about the three-year, you know, giving running backs a, a two-year two or whatever, three-year kind of, you know, I think all the rookie contracts should probably be three years. Um, I think it, 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 um, you know, maybe four for quarterbacks, but we, we've established a principle. You can treat different positions differently. I don't know what the answer is because the main question is still not as much the style of play, although you're right that running backs are more or less fungible apart from those talents, but that's true in a lot of positions. Um, sure. The thing is in the thing is injury. And, you know, when Saquon Barkley missed almost the entire season two years ago, he got paid the full contract. Mm. You know, there's, there was no penalty on him. Uh, the team, you know, bit, bit the bullet and did it. So mm. teams not being willing to sort of commit to paying in terms of injury. I'm wondering if there might be a more, a more effective standard injury settlement kind of thing in contracts, um, whereby if you do miss time, you give back a certain amount of the contract that you get back, say, in another year. So it, it becomes extenuating. You know? it's interesting, interesting idea. On the Saquon question that you alluded to, it had come in from Adam. Uh, and I guess we've it'd be interesting to see how you answer this. So based on everything we've just been talking about for the last five minutes, will Saquon sign a long-term deal after the season's done. So I guess we could look at that in two ways. Will the Giants offer him a long-term deal? That seems unlikely, right? A year yeah, on. That would that would, would be my guess. Would yeah. another team step in and look at giving him... Possibly. And it, it, that's an interesting thing. If he gets through two seasons without serious injury, then you say, well, has he established now that he's, you know, kind of like healthy and, and uh, right. the knee or whatever is strong and it's going to... Or are you saying, well, you know, it's like, 
I flipped the coin twice and it's come up heads both times. <laughs> you know, even though it's still a 50-50 shot, yeah. your brain your, your brain is telling you that don't don't do it. And I, I think that would be the same thing. Um and he's know, also see, 26, I, right? So he'd hit which is not, you know, not a lot. You know, well, Jacobs the, is what 24? Yeah, but the 28 is the is that 28 got right? yeah, yeah, 26. And in most sports, you think at 26, 27 is being the peak year. Mm. Um, that's when you that's when you perform the best, and then mm -hmm. the slow decline starts. And, and, um, <laughs> Amen to that. Um, but if you've made it through, if you've made it through your first contract as a running back, it's almost inevitable that your second you won't perform as well in your second your one. Second one, yeah, yeah. And injury is often a bit a big part of that. Mm. You know, McCaffrey's been very lucky in a sense. He's only had one, yeah, kind of major yeah. major injury, and and he's better off now with the Niners because the, Less the Panthers were, tires, were yeah. running him into the you know middle of the line all the time uh, as a straight up as a straight up runner. Yeah, um, it's a good point. It's a you know Naheem Hines on the other hand was fine until he decided to stand on a jet ski. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, that's the craziest injury. That's the craziest injury I've seen, you know, because I, I had been crazier thinking, than Plaxico. <laughs> every, well, that, that, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, every summer you get guys who, you know, serious injuries, drown, you know, trying to rescue people, um, drown swimming, all this kind of stuff in, in the summer. And, and I saw the thing, jet ski, Naheem Hines, I said, okay, now I'm going to write the article. And then I, I read what happened. He was he was literally in the dock on the jet ski and somebody else crashed into him coming into the dock, someone who didn't and, and broke his knee. You know, God, how, how unlike how unlikely is that? The poor guy, you know, it's oh, but that is harsh. That's kind of the, I, I could just see Carlson in his Hawaiian shirt, just like making some <laughs> wisecrack waving. <laughs> laughing, laughing. I was sp spilling the beer. Oh, no, that's what you're thinking, Pharaoh. The um, who was the player I, that we were working together by this stage? It was back in I feel like it was the Channel Five days. That who was the player that put his hand through a TV or is a McDonald's? Oh, um, what was that? Where the hell? Yeah, that was the story. The story was he punched the TV and, and yeah, slit his, yeah, yeah. his like thumb. Um, who that was old, that? That old classic. Oh, oh it's going to wipe me up. Yeah. Well, Lester, if you remember, Lester, someone I mean, someone can listen to this and then send us in. They will. Uh, I'm sure they'll And receive a bonus, a bonus free episode. Um, we'll get you a side photo of Iron Mike that. in his in his Hawaiian shirt. So, uh, one <laughs> oh, from did the... you get those photos? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Nat was asking me for photos this morning for a headshot and. You know, since nobody's wanted to do a headshot of me in about 20 years, I had to get these little clip, you know, with well, these Alex, little snapshots. Alex and our design team was was CC'd in on it and suddenly was inundated with about 57 Iron Mike. <laughs> <laughs> they, I didn't send them my baby photo. Oh, that was great. I love your baby photo. I love the, my favorite. Yeah, I was photo. baby photo, Carlson with long mullet hair playing tight end at uh, at Wesleyan and then Hawaiian shirt. That's my top three. Oh. I, I should I should do the one um, when I was fifteen in in high school and they mm. they they took the um, uh, photo. I look really really mean in that one. Do you really? Like, yeah, the baby photo. I was playing nose tackle on the team at the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh God, you! I bet you were just winding people up in nursery. Listen, <laughs> let's go back on script. Um, incidentally, you mentioned um, the Jalen Ramsey injury. He's out till December, of course. Eli Apple. Yeah. 
enter Eli into into Miami. A one-year deal <laughs> for Eli. That's that's thrilled the Dolphins nation, I'm sure. Um, Jonathan Taylor was, of course, we were. Well, Eli, Eli's Eli's okay. You know, he makes some bad decisions, but he he had a couple of good seasons in um, New Orleans. He's got the um, talent, but he's just moody. He's moody, isn't he? Isn't yeah, he? yeah. Anyway, I guess he you know, Super Bowl winning Eli Apple, of course. Um, or Super Bowl, uh, not Super Bowl winning, but Super Bowl, uh, uh, Super Bowlist. Is that a that a word? If you're on the, on Super, the wrong Bowl, side? Super Baller, <laughs> um, a Super Baller. He's a Super he's baller. got momentum. Eli Apple's got momentum now because he's balling. <laughs> yeah, well, he's in Miami now. He's made some dollars. So anyway, he is a stopgap until Jalen hopefully returns later on this season. We mentioned Jim Irsay, and of course, uh, at the top, I was uh, I was. Um, echoing him uh, in relation to Jonathan Taylor, who uh, they seem to have reached yes. a, an impasse here. This is uh, one from a long-standing friend of the show and, uh, of course, a former guest on Americanage back in the day, Chrissy Trash. Uh, Chrissy, how are you? Uh, Chris Head, of course. With Jonathan Taylor wanting out of Indy, and he's a massive Colts fan, Chris, where would the ideal landing spot for him be and what value <laughs> could the Colts expect in return? So if they do deal him, what would they get for him and where might he... Depends yes. probably on whether he's got a, a con how his contract situation is. You know, mm -hmm. it'd be easier to deal if the Colts if the Colts had you know had him for an extension. You'll have to agree an extension with him, mm -hmm. I think, in order to to do that. Um it, right now, it depends on your need, of course. But right now, I would I would think the Colts would be looking for two draft picks. A one and a three, something like that. You, you know, think they get that. They didn't get first. Well, I think I think you're more likely to be to get a two at this point. Mm. Um, if you if he's not going to play for you, you know, maybe two two. I mean, the team that where he should go would be <laughs> Las Vegas because <laughs> he could replace Josh Jacobs and right. you know, like two unsettled guys. But that's that's the kind of back that he is. Mm. Um, you know, less effective in the pass game. But you know, but a beast of a runner when he's healthy, um, a, a, a bell cow we used to call him mm. runner. Um, but there's, as you said, or there's not that much demand for the bell cow runner anymore. There's not too many teams that you know can structure their offense ar around that. And I'd say Tennessee, but Tennessee, you know, have drafted two guys in successive years to be the the replacement for Derrick Henry. His contract's up at the end of this season, mm. um, and I doubt they'll want to pay him. Uh, extra money to to do that because you know if, if there's ever a guy who you would think is built to wear down at you know at this point in his <laughs> career it would it would be Derek Henry you know it, give... it's an interesting point you make uh, uh, and I think we've seen this in recent years with definitely the particularly the latter era Roethlisberger Steelers um, definitely the Patriots and and the Titans those teams that are unashamedly unreconstructed offensively. <laughs> I want to see how much that, that gap, that gap widens between the teams that just resolutely refuse three tight ends, bell cow running back. Just well, going. you know, if you mention the Titans, you almost have to mention the Falcons. And I think Arthur Smith was trying to take that basic formula and improvise off it, which is why they got Bijan Robinson. I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a good sign for the Falcons if if Ritter can um, can play can play quarterback. Yeah, what's your um, what's your feel on that, Mike Ritter? Have you seen enough of him to have a well? Not field? really. I mean, the end of the season, he was okay. You know, he his he had a rough first game, if I remember right, and then and then he was better um coming in. They've got 
um, Tyler Hennick, Taylor Henneke. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, if if they, if they don't, but I, um, I've, I've lost. I've lost my, oh yeah. So yeah, old school, um, old school. Well, but, but yeah, yeah I was listening to Mike Lombardi um, who said basically about the, this situation, you know, that, that there's a lot of supply and demand there <laughs> trying to explain why, why running backs. <laughs> there's a lot of supply and demand out there. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess there is, Mike. I, I guess, guess there is. You know, I you love know? Mike. I love but, it. Right. Listen, we better get down to the other. We're not going to get through all the questions. So you mentioned the Josh Harris. Well, we talked a bit about him, didn't we? Or well, Mr. Harris to you, Iron Mike. Uh, and that was, he's the subject of Paul Murphy's message. Hey, Paul. Given that Josh Harris, and it's he calls him Josh as well, just to be yeah. clear. Given that Josh Harris and his group have, finally have control in Washington, what practical first steps can they make in the short term to make the team more successful on and off the park? The name, branding, and stadium plans will take time. What can they do immediately? I yeah, I, I think the name and branding ought to the commies is a terrible name for for them. Um, I think they ought to re-examine that. Stadium's a long-term thing. Um yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, that how bad can you be when when cities aren't willing to put out hundreds of millions of dollars to bring an NFL team <laughs> to, to their city, you know, it's like they're usually falling over themselves to give the owners more money to, you know, but um, I, to be honest, I don't think he can do all that much on a, on a, on field basis. Um, it's too late to walk in and start trying to change things. Mm. You know, if he had gotten the team, in January and maybe taking a look at, at someone in the front office, you know, but now it's a, it's a young front office. He's got to kind of see what he can, what he can learn about how they do business and, you know, look for what the weak parts is. And the same even more so applies to the coaching staff. I mean, Ron Rivera should be on the hot seat, you know, but he should have been for, few years you know um they've got a pretty good team again it's a lot like atlanta except they're better on you know defensively they're better than atlanta um offensively it's simply a question of is sam howell ready to play play quarterback in the in the nfl um but you know, I, I think basically this is why I was saying before about the you know the NFL like putting somebody in there um to whisper in his ear. Um, and that Mike Lombardi, I I heard say that, and, and I thought that that was right. Give credit where, where it's due. Um, but you've got to, you've got to go in and, and get the feel of the place and, and see what works and what doesn't, um, you know, and I don't know how much he, of an idea he's got about that. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's been very in and out with the 76ers in basketball. And that's why people call him Josh, because you can call a basketball owner by their first name. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he he's, if you can, if you can assume that he's been the man who sets the tone in Philadelphia, their tone has been to bring in lots of talent, big name talent, um, and not necessarily to build a team around that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um so football is more complicated than basketball, obviously, because you've got a huge squad to deal with and and you know the people the pieces and basketball salary cap is rather 
flexible so you can keep stars you don't you're not forced to make them cap, cap mm. casualties as as you saw with boston giving all that money to to um jalen brown um mm. when he's not he's the number two guy and he's now the highest paid player he's, in still, basketball. Yeah. he's not yeah. even the number yeah. one guy on, on his team um <laughs> so so the answer to that i think is nothing mm. I, I think nothing i think harris can... comes in and, and you won't see any difference until the end of the season they could get better uh, memorials for Sean Taylor. That's probably one kind of key thing they could do. That, that's a that's a good point. Um, and you know, if they were to get off to a horrible start, you would say, okay, then Rivera gets fired. But if they fire Rivera, who you know, and go to an interim guy, is it going to make that much difference? Is he going to get know? the gig long term? Yeah. What's the point? Uh, yeah. Okay, here's one from. Um, from Warren Heyman. Hey, was uh, was hey ninety nine is his handle on Twitter. He's watching quarterback. A question I've often asked myself, and particularly when um, when uh, Cam Newton came into the league, we talked about this. I remember Mike deep diving into our memory vaults when he had a particularly simplified play calling system, even by college yeah. quarterback standards, right? And that was something that they introduced early on. And um, of course, we've seen versions of this in the last. Chip Kelly tried to kind of mess around this a little bit as well, I think. But anyway, was his question is why a play calls. And why is play calling so complicated? Surely you could rip up the playbook and do running plays as Northern Hemisphere, throwing plays as Southern Hemisphere, and vary by country instead of... Uh, and he goes on to give examples here, but it does beg the question... Hey, okay, boys, Lithuania 4! <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why, are, why are they so complicated, so intricate? Um, because of volume of them? So many plays in a, in a playbook? It, yeah, and strangely enough, the complicated nomenclature often helps players know what they're going to do. You know, some one of the reasons why play calls are so complicated or generally on passing plays, especially they're often telling each player what his route is. Mm -hmm. Um now, now sometimes there's there should be op options on those routes, but that's when it starts getting caught. And you know, we talk about running backs, receivers get paid an awful lot of money, and some receivers still don't know how to do this kind of stuff, you know. And there was there was a piece a few years ago about how it was it was at least a one-year breaking in period for most college receivers because the complications of the NFL passing tree were more than they had been taught um to make up. But you know, basically your your basic play call generally is formation, blocking assignment, uh, which is a general thing for the line, but it's usually based on um, where the mic is, where where the center is, and and you're going to block that way. Um, and then pass routes, if if that's part of it. Um, sometimes there's options that are called beforehand, so you've got you've got a second a second call there. But when you get to line of scrimmage, it can all change, mm. um, and that's where the simple calls are. Uh, you because you can't get up to the line of scrimmage and then do do all the verbiage of 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 your calls um but you know the blocking shifts that's why you see everybody when they're supposedly in a set position can wave their arms around and point the left and right you know back in the day if you 
the left guard raised his arm, you'd knock him on his ass. And he, <laughs> you know, he, he'd be called for offside because he was moving. But now it's kind of like there's this kind uh, of gentleman's, agree, gentleman's agreement that, you know, you can move, move, move until you, you're you finally set. You're set. And lots of times that's a nanosecond before the ball's snapped. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I, that's another one of these grumpy things that, that I can um, pitch. But I am wearing my, my grump. T-shirt here. I'm my grumpy, surely, surely not. <laughs> my, it's it's the seven dwarfs, except all seven of them are grumpy. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll so that, that's that's a long answer to that, but that's that's good kind answer. of long answer, but a good answer, I might So we'll we'll roll with it. All right, a couple more for the road. Let's go. That this is a good one from uh, Mr. Robot, who points out quite a few injuries popping up in training. Uh, appreciate it happens. Yeah. Uh, says Robot, but should there be an argument for toning the intensity down? Borough pulled his calf by trying to keep a player alive. Is there really a, a point to that? It's a fascinating question because we've seen, I guess, increasingly um, the limitations of impact and stress uh, in training camps. But at the same time, you got to get everybody game ready, right? There's a middle ground you got to find here. So what is the answer? Well, at this stage in the training camps, these injuries are almost all non-contact injuries. Mm-hmm. This is this is players who are basically thoroughbreds, and they're stretching it. They're stretching it out too early in the, you know. They, but there's no way of telling. You know, you loosen up and all that kind of stuff, and but something just pops. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd I'd like to blame artificial turf, but I I don't know how much of it is is uh, is a question of tur- turf versus grass. But it's um, a good point you make because, of course, yeah, quarterbacks obviously protected, but yeah, there is the difference I think between well the level of contact and to be ready hitting at the level. And you talk to you know talk to certain players, and you need a you need a fair bit of that to get you ready again in your mindset for 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 the season and actually preseason games even if the starters time is limited in those that that is one of the key reasons why it's just taking a few hits and giving a few hits and getting ready but there's also to to uh robots point the uh the intensity of of a player who is like joe burrow who in an inconsequential moment in training is giving everything and i guess mentally getting set and playing at that level and that playing at that level of intensity it's hard to balance that with 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 a player like Borrowed, for example. Yeah, but how can you stop? There's no way yeah. you can stop stop that. You know, the only you thing you can control is yeah. contact. And right. And I don't know if con- controlling contact is actually a good thing for for reasons you just said. You know, if if you if you don't have contact when you first start having contact, it can become more problematic. And mm. you know, when I, when I was doing NFL Europe. There were some coaches who almost never had contact once the season started mm. um, because they didn't want to risk. They were smaller rosters. The kid, as one coach said to me, the kids are playing for a spot in the NFL. I don't want to risk him. And then he started bitching about another one of the coaches who was whose team's always chop blocked. Um, mm. And um, that that's a good way to injure people. And, and then the, the chiefs used to send him linemen and, and then complain that they weren't coach chop blocks. Cause that was, sorry, the Broncos, mm-hmm. um, it was Alex Gibbs was the, was the coach and the Broncos, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Shanahan's offense, they knocked everything down from behind if they could. Um, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't coach that. And he said, cause I'm not going to get one of these kids hurt, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and take away his NFL career just so, you know, so anyway, um, 
I, I just think that's the nature of the sport. You know, we, 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 we tell running backs, they have to live with it, but it's basically the nature of the, the whole sport. You know, it, we can have a, we can go down to, you know, seven on seven in shorts and play flag football like the pro bowl does. Mm. Um, and I, as long as you could bet on it, God, I don't know, no. that, yeah. you know <laughs> if sure. the audience would, would mind. It would, oh, if it you could bet on still it, make I'm, a, I'm fine. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. It would still make a good, um, a good red zone. Somebody sent. Did you have a question about uh, Jay about Travis Kelsey and the and the quote unquote fight? Oh, did I? I might now you put him on. That the was one I started to answer, and then <laughs> and then realized <laughs> yeah. it was probably for the. Let me so just anyway, boot up X for a moment and see if yeah. I could find the uh, Travis Kelsey one. So, yes, I have. I've got it right here, actually. So this is from Chris okay. Noble. Uh, what do you make of the Kelsey footage punching a teammate in training? Does this happen yeah. a lot? Yeah, it does. Um, not as some coaches encourage it. They like they like to have a fight every now and again to get everybody focused on on what's going on. And but what happened here was Kelsey Kelsey caught a pass like a touchdown pass um, in a drill in a goal line drill and took a couple of steps. And then Jack Cochran, who's basically fighting for a place, he's a linebacker, sort of didn't quite stop pursuing him and, and his hand went up and you know and his arm sort of hit Kelsey's helmet as he was trying to slow himself down and he and he catches himself on Kelsey and Kelsey just spun around and, and hit him. Yeah. Which and and punching again in the NFL punching guy in the helmet is not necessarily a good way to express your displeasure. <laughs> um, but that was it. They just went they went back. It wasn't a it wasn't a good fight. Good fights are when like linemen are doing drills and then they just start wrestling each other to the ground and you know and like like it was um like it was UFC or you know, ground and battle. Rolling. Yeah I love that. Yeah all right and, and that kind of stuff. I was right. never I was never, never much you're into a, that kind of stuff. You were loving on a fight throw, and Mike. That's what I, I the only time I did that was when we were having a non-contact drill, and, and mm. one of the coach coaches' favorites, line defensive coaches' favorites, who kept banging me off the line of scrimmage, you know, and Carson, you're supposed to be seven yards downfield. How come I said he's he's hitting me, you know? <laughs> so what are you saying? Well, what are you, you got to do something? So okay, I said okay. So the next time I came up, I just came out of my stance and I threw a forearm into his chin. <laughs> and oh, so he went out. I, I caught the ball, and then he came running after me. And, and then they're screaming at me, Carlson, you can't hit somebody like that. I said, You just told me to. <laughs> oh, which is why, which is why I was not a popular. Something's guy. never change. I mean, it's incredible. Like all these years on, it's still like I can just picture it right now. Um, and surprised you didn't wheel a jet ski into training car, <laughs> rock it up on your <laughs> on your jet ski. Well, you know, hmm. yeah, it's, if he had played in if he had played in New Jersey, they we could call them New, New Jersey jet skis. Ooh, you know? I like that. I like it that. would have been, it would have been, been um, it would have worked. Naja jet ski. That would be good. Uh, the all right, last one, one for the road. Last one. Yeah, it is from, here we go. I like this one. So uh, this is, for, I like this one particularly because of their handlers, Celine Dijon. I love that. Um, <laughs> shout out to Celine. It might be. She's know, a hot mustard. That's she, for sure. Uh, well, Celine says, was curious to know Mike and Nat's thoughts on the recent spate of alternative throwback uniforms, the throwback jerseys that have been announced recently. On a base level, it's another way for the league to make money, but was wondering which uniforms, if any, you would bring back that haven't been done already. Which oh, uniforms? I don't, I don't really know what hasn't. Or, I mean, I love the, the original Chargers powder blue. Uh, um, maybe you know, I like, I really like the, the old 
New England Patriot ones with with uh, Pat Patriot, you know, they definitely brought those the, back. The red, the, the red. Uh, yeah, they they yeah. brought those back. Um, there's some old. I mean, we've seen like the Pittsburgh ones and, the and I think the green the Green Bay ones, you know, which I think are are very, very cool. Um, it's amazing how how little some of them have changed. You know how how it's only sort of cosmetic changes, not not redesigns, um, and that that kind of stuff. Um, colleges are colleges are a little bit different, um, but you know, no no nobody should wear a, a jersey with the name of a player younger than himself or herself <laughs> it's a on, the back, on the back. I find that demeaning. You've always maintained <laughs> that. And it's something it was, maybe you said that to me. I think maybe you said I it probably on, you said did. It, you said it on air, I think. And uh, I remember thinking at the time I had just bought this like really early on in us working together. I think I just bought a, I bought a Ronnie Brown shirt and I was just trying to do the maths in my head. And thought, okay, Ronnie yeah, Brown. I got I got Ronnie yeah, Brown. God. Of, course, of course I bought Ronnie Brown. You should but get I, a Ronnie Brown Auburn Auburn jersey. That would like be that. um Oh, you know what I am getting. Be a number. I was this Carlson, I'm getting um from our friend Chris Milner. Uh, of NFL vintage fame. He's um he is uh messaged me to say he's, I think he talked about it when he's lost on the show actually he's got me a Joe Montana Notre Dame jersey that I'm gonna be wearing out in Dublin for the oh, uh for the Irish games. So I'm excited about that. The um yeah that'll be fun. Yeah. Looking forward to that. The, um, careful which the, bars the, I go the, into the Notre Dame. Yeah I, I was actually I was actually ripped off uh online by somebody selling um some vintage, not they're fake vintage T-shirts of teams that old baseball teams, you know, that don't that don't exist. And and um, what happened? Some it was some. They just never. They they send you these messages about going through and going through, and then the tracking service tells you it's been delivered and it hasn't, and oh, then you no. get and, what was and the apparently jersey? it was um, the St. Paul Apostles baseball club. I thought okay. that was kind of cool. Um, what was what uh, was Montgomery Brewster's minor league team called? Were they were the candy played for. What the uh, iso- the isotopes? Were they called that? You know, so the, no, that was Bruce- Montgomery Burns. Oh, okay. That was that <laughs> was in Spring the Springfield isotopes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, you know, but, no, so Pryor and John Candy when they play, they're playing for a oh, team, aren't they? What were they called? What were they called? That's a good question. Uh, That's a very good. I'll question. look it up while you tell the story you're about to tell. Yeah, well, I, I I was thinking about getting a a replacement from somebody, and I was going to get a maybe even a jersey, but maybe just a sweatshirt from the new Westmin new Westminster Salmon Bellies. <laughs> They're an indoor lacrosse team in British in British Columbia. They sound amazing. Oh, the Hackensack Bulls. That was it. I've got. I want to get a Hackensack Bulls jersey. I'm going to see if I can. Yeah. Do you remember the in Eight Men Out the, when um, Shoeless Joe Jackson's playing semi pro ball for Hoboken? Yes, that's right. He's, yeah, got, yeah. he's got this nice, it just says Hoboken on it. One of the problems that's with football cool is that for a long time, the jerseys were very plain. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and just numbers on them. So it was only the colors and the, maybe the stripes on the side that would, would tell you what, what it was. Were those Steelers, uh, I once tried, or, Steelers throwback ones, were they? What, what Steelers era, had the... What decade was that's that? That's in the 30s. They were 30s. more adventurous sort of in the 30s and 40s. In the 50s, mm. it all kind of got sta- standardized. And, mm. Um, I was because I wanted to get a um, um, what were they called? The not the Charter Oaks when Hartford went into the Continental League. Um, 
the night the knights were they the Hartford knights but anyway it was just a it was a jersey like our college ones only not as nice <laughs> just numbers on the front on the front and back so it's all you need i let that one go yeah well that is all you need in life pretty much apart from a nice cold beer on a day like this uh and of course uh an eye and mike carlson News that are dropping into your inbox each and every Friday, which is how you can follow the big man's starting to profile. Yeah, we're we're coming up. Wrong. We're coming up with um, the NFC South. I did the AFC South last week and the NFC South this week. I did a big thing about Johnny Lujak last week, who um, is an American legend. Johnny Johnny Lujak went to Notre Dame, a four sport athlete. He took over for Angelo Bertelli. In the 1943 season, they finished undefeated. Um, Angelo Bertelli won the uh, Heisman Trophy, even though he went into the Marines halfway through the season. And Johnny Lujak literally stepped into his shoes because his cleats were torn. And they said, yeah, use Angelo's. And and they (laughs) fitted perfectly. Um, Then he went off to war for two years, came back. And in 1946, the greatest college football game ever, the 0-0 tie between Notre Dame and Army, who had Doc Blanchard and and Glenn Davis, Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. And Notre Dame had Lujak, had a horrible game offensively, but made the game-saving tackle on Doc Blanchard, who was breaking free. And it's the only college game where four Heisman Trophy players have played in the same game. Because uh, Notre wow. Dame's end, Leon Hart, also was in that game. He lost one game in his college career, which was to Great Lakes Naval Training Station, which was loaded with older players, obviously, because uh, it was the wartime. <laughs> yeah. then, he, then he got drafted by the Bears, went to the Bears. George Hallis got him and Bobby Lane at the same time to back up Sid Luckman. And <clears throat> so for one year, he backed up Luckman with Lane. They split time. Then he got rid of Bobby Lane um, and... Um, Lou Jack took over from Sid Luckman. Next year, Hallis got George Blanda, who he hated, and Blanda hated him. So he tormented Blanda so much that he traded Blanda to the Baltimore Colts and then bought him back two weeks later <laughs> just to, just so he could bench him again. He played him more at linebacker than quarterback uh, for these years. Lou Jack played both ways, and, and after having one of the great seasons of any football quarterback of the 40s, um, separated his shoulder, hurt his shoulder tackling somebody. And he was the first team all pro quarterback in a season throwing with a busted shoulder where he threw four touchdown passes and 21 interceptions. <laughs> but he That's ran for record. 11. He ran for 11 touchdowns. So when it came, when his contract was up at, after the 1950 season, Hallis had cheated him on a contract. When he caught him at it, Hallis then said, Oh, yeah, what a mistake. And he had his knees were going, his shoulder was going. Hallis wouldn't give him a big race. He wanted a release to go to some other team where they were more less um, prehistoric in their offensive strategies. <laughs> and um, he said no. And then, frankly, he at Notre Dame offered him a job as an assistant coach. And when Lee he retired, he should have been the head coach, but he wasn't. They, they Terry Brennan took over as head coach. So he then went into business and did some commentary and stuff like that. But I put up a picture of him on the cover of Life magazine in 1947. I said, how many quarterbacks today can say they've been on the cover of Life magazine? Well, the answer right. to that, of course, zero, because Life magazine doesn't exist anymore. But <laughs> yeah. don't tell anybody. <laughs> it was a good a, line. I take the point. It was a great line. And uh... Anyway, Johnny Lujak, a true great. In 1949, 
in the summer before the season started, ABC Radio had a net, had a network show called Jack Armstrong All American Boy, which was you know, it was taking the summer off, and they decided to put on a show called The Adventures of Johnny Lujack, starring Johnny Lujack. So this is an active NFL player basically doing oh my a God, they've got show to about this. Show about this himself. Why can't they bring this back? The Adventures of Antonio Brown. Why? Let's bring, <laughs> bring it back. While well, raising a glass to the great man, Johnny Lujak. And read yeah, Johnny Lujak, one of the true greats. One of the greats. Raising a glass indeed. At Carlson Sports, speaking of one of the After greats. After Glenn Cook. After Glenn yeah. Cook. After raising... Glenn Cook, Johnny Lujak's probably like the greatest what might have been quarterback in NFL history. Oh, great cook there. is undoubtedly the greatest. There's a show right there. Well, the, the greatest that never, yeah, the greatest that never were, uh, never were, never was the greatest that yeah. never was. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're with me yeah. at Carlson Sports is how you follow the big man on Twitter, and that's patreon.com forward slash Mike Carlson FMT for the stylings and profilings, uh, including that Johnny Lee Jack profile and uh, plenty more to get you set for the season. Uh, head on to the vault as well. There's plenty of Iron Mike off season stuff in there and other goodies too. So go and get yourself set. Uh, by listening to those if you haven't already. And we are back for more. We've got some great guests lined up as well. Asmir Begovic on his way pretty soon. We're going to be checking in with J-Bell too. So uh, keep it here on the end. J-Bell too? There's another one? They've cloned him. They've cloned him. <laughs> it's going to be five by the time the season starts. I don't think we can contain him. Uh, Carson, brilliant stuff. As ever, man. Look after you hey, talk to you later. Podcast Network.